appreciate that. There we go. I shut it off between services and uh, forgot to turn it back on. So apologize about that. But I appreciate that song and, and praise the Lord for, you know, no greater love uh, could be showed to man than, than giving your own life for somebody. That's the greatest amount of love that can be shown. And that's really what God did on the cross of Calvary when Jesus came and died uh, on the cross of Calvary. What a great love. Uh, that he has for us. Praise the Lord for that. If you have your Bibles, open up Second Chronicles chapter 13. And as you're turning there, this is truly an amazing chapter. And I want to kind of continue with the theme that we've talked about for at least two weeks now. And uh, that being power and uh, the power of God really in this chapter in the Old Testament illustrates that so very well uh, with God's power being displayed. And it's an amazing chapter really and it simply cements our need uh, of God in our life and we must we must have God in our life to have his power on our life second chronicles chapter 13 I would love to read the entire chapter but we will not for sake of time but I want to read us just the first couple of verses here and get us an idea of what is going on and uh, then I will I will go back and I'll I'll give you the uh will bring you up to speed on what is going on in Israel so second chronicles chapter number 13 and verse number 1 the bible says now in the 18th year of king Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah and he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men being mighty men of valor. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemariam, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Let's stop there before we get into his uh, speech that he gives. We will get into that a little bit later. But uh, uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And then we'll give the uh, background of what is going on in this passage. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you again for the uh, privilege that we have to be in your house, gathered around your word. God, I pray that you would just uh, bless each and every person that's here and bless each and every listener. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can. And God, may we see the importance of, of having your involvement in our life on a regular basis. And God, I pray that we would be... Uh, Christians with power, Father, uh, not our own power, not our own wisdom, not our own strength, but God, your power and your wisdom and your grace and your strength in our life, Father, for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that you would just bless this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. 
As we read this first part, uh, you realize there's a lot of names and there's, there's kings here going on. And, and so I want to go back and I, I'd love to read all the history, but we don't have the time to read all of those chapters. But if you were to go back and read chapter 10, uh, Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, has just become king. Now Solomon was king, he was David's son, and he became king after King David. So you kind of got an idea of where we are at. And Solomon reigned for a long time and had a very successful reign in Israel before Rehoboam ascends to the throne. And as Rehoboam ascends to the throne, of course, there is that, uh, that question that has been put before him. Hey, are you going to keep taxing the people like your father did, or are you going to lessen the amount of taxes? And this is not a message on taxes, all right? We're not going there. But, uh, uh, but he, he, said, uh, he said, you know what, give me three days and I'll answer you. And then he goes to the, uh, his father, Solomon's counselors, and he talks to them, and they give him some information, and, and then he goes to all of his friends. And they were the younger people, the people that he had grown up with, and he gets counsel from them, and, and, uh, and in the end, he ends up going with the counsel of his friends instead of the counsel from the counselors of Solomon, who were wise, and, uh, and in the end, all of the nation of Israel rebels against Rehoboam, with the exception of Judah. Now, if you were to look at a map, Judah would occupy the southern part of Israel, and then Benjamin is right there between the rest of northern Israel and Judah. And the Bible says that Judah and Benjamin uh, stayed with Rehoboam, and the rest of Israel went with Jeroboam. And that's the guy that's in our text. And so you see kind of a little bit of history. Uh, the, the nation of Israel is now divided uh, with the north and with the south. The north being Israel and the south being Judah. That takes place there in chapter 10. In chapter 11, Rehoboam gathers his troops and he says, man, I'm going to go attack Israel and I'm going to get my nation back together underneath of me. But before he does that, uh, God sends a prophet to Rehoboam and says, Nope, I do not want you to do that. And so Rehoboam does not do that. Uh, he doesn't end up going up and attacking. Instead, he fortifies all of his cities and he builds himself a, a, an army because he's just lost half of his country. And, uh, and so uh, he does that all in chapter 11. And the priests that were in Israel are no longer being used by Jeroboam. Jeroboam says, you know what? I'm making a new religion. You can go back and read about it. I think it's in 1 Kings chapter 12 or 2 Kings chapter 12 and 13. And so he chooses the base of the people and makes a new religion and makes idols uh, in the southernmost part of, of his country, Israel, just before you would go into Benjamin and into Judah and, uh, and in the northern part. That way he keeps all of his people from going down to Jerusalem where the temple is and where they would normally go. And, uh, and so he does all of that to, uh, for a political mindset to keep his people up there. Well, the priests, realizing we're out of a job, we're no longer needed in Israel, they all start to migrate back to Jerusalem and to Judah where they can be used of the Lord. And so they're now moving out and they're going down to the southern part to Judah. And in chapter 12, Rehoboam forsakes the Lord and his word. And he's punished 
uh, in chapter 12. And Egypt comes, and the king Shishak comes, and, and they attack Judah. And, uh, and, and, and as they're attacking, uh, Rehoboam repents, and uh, the Lord says, you know what, I'm not going to allow them to fully occupy, but they did steal all of the golden shields that King Solomon had made. And, uh, and so there's a great loss to the nation of Judah, and, uh, and they leave, and, uh, and Rehoboam, after they leave, uh, he does turn back to his evil ways, and he does not seek the Lord, and he dies, uh, but he had served as king for 17 years. Now, Abijah is Rehoboam's son. And Abijah has witnessed much of this that has taken place. The ups and the downs of his father, uh, his mistakes and his good things that he has done. And we find in chapter 13 as we get here that Jeroboam, who is still king uh, in the northern part of Israel, uh, is, is wanting to wage war. I don't know if he started it or Abijah started it, but we're just left with the fact that there is a war that is taking place between the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Now I've already mentioned that Jeroboam was a wicked man. He was not a godly man whatsoever. We really don't know much about Abijah. There's not much given to us except for in this chapter. And we're going to find some very interesting things that Abijah was certainly interested in God and certainly interested in following God and certainly uh, led his country to follow God. And as you look there in chapter 3, we find that there is a war that is taking place. Look with me in verse 3. Uh, chapter 13 and verse number 3, And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. Now, I've already laid out for you that Jeroboam was a wicked person and Abijah uh, was really uh, more of a godly person, more of a good person. But I want you to notice this war that is about to take place. And, and listen, it greatly resembles, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you read these things and it resembles a spiritual aspect in the New Testament. And it's kind of like the spiritual battle that is taking place. You have a very wicked nation that is, uh, that is attacking and, and a godly nation that is trying to stand for what is right and do what is right, but there's a battle between both of them. Who was this Jer Jer Jeroboam? Uh, Jeroboam didn't want the people to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, as I had said before, so he set up a new religion. Go back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter number 11, just real quick. 2 Chronicles chapter 11, just back a page or so. In verse number 13, I want you to see this in the Word of God. It does talk about it. I believe it's 2 Kings chapter 12 or 1 Kings 12, but it talks about it there as well. But here in, in 2 Chronicles 11, 13, the Bible says, And the priests and the Levites that were in all Israel resorted to him, out of all their coasts, for the Levites left their suburbs and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem, for Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto 
the Lord. And so these priests that had lived in, in, in Israel, in the northern tribes, they had been serving the Lord, and, and uh, the, the people would come to the priests and offer their, offer their sacrifices, and the priests would do all of that service. And, and of course, with Jeroboam starting a new religion, then these priests no longer had, uh, were needed in Israel. And as Jeroboam leads the people and instructs them in this new religion, then the, the priests are like, we've got nothing left here. And so they start to head back to Judah. And as you think about that, think about the absence of God's people and God's presence in northern Israel and how that must have affected the atmosphere in the northern part of Israel and how it was that, uh, that Jeroboam really didn't care about righteousness. He was more concerned about the political lines that were being drawn. He was more concerned about the strategy that he was trying to employ. And he was more concerned about trying to keep and maintain Israel than he was about God in his life. And I see that as a great problem. And he's a very uh, wicked person. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear about that because uh, it says many times throughout the Bible uh, that Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. And I'm just saying that uh, that certainly comes out in these passages. He was not concerned about God's righteousness. Abijah... Abijah, I don't really know how to say that guy's name, so I'll probably say it both ways. Ab Abijah is the way I have it written in my Bible, but my Spanish keeps kicking in and saying Abijah. So if I say it incorrectly, pardon my uh, mistakes there. But uh, uh, Ab Abijah, we really don't know much about him. But we find in our passage as we read this that, uh, uh, that he certainly was a godly person. And as we think about these two things, I'm reminded of the verse in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 2. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And what I'm saying is, northern Israel were probably mourning. I mean, the presence of God has departed, a new religion has been invented, and they are now worshiping idols and golden calves and things like that, and, and, and He's pulled the base of the people and made them priests, and they're no longer the Levites and the, uh, the tribe of Levi that God had established to be the priests in Israel. And Abijah, uh, or Abijah, rather, uh, was a godly king, and he was promoting godliness in his country. And so Judah was about to do very well. And listen, as we think about those two things, understand today that lines are clearly drawn in the sand. There is wickedness that does not care about what God has written in His Word. Matter of fact, they don't want you to go to church. They want to silence the Word of God. They're not interested in people living righteously today. They're more, in, uh, they're more interested in promoting wickedness. And it's all over our news. It's all over our uh, social media. It's all over uh, the world that there are definitely two sides that are distinctly uh, drawn out in today. 
And the Bible says this in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen, that's what's going on today. I mean, they are promoting wickedness and they are telling you that this is good. I mean, they're telling you that a man can be with a man and a woman can be with a woman and that they don't know what, uh, what gender they really are. I mean, when you can't even define what is a female, we've got problems. And I'm just telling you that they have drawn their side very clearly. By the way, it's not just that. Uh, it's, it, it's not new. This has been going on for years. And uh, you remember going all the way back to the days when, when abstinence was a thing. Talking about, not abstinence, um, um, dry, the dry counties. Is that abstinence? Not drinking. I think that is the right term. I didn't live in that age. I read about it. And what happened? Well, they started promoting alcohol and saying, well, we ought to have the right to be able to do this and do that. And listen, our society has been going downhill since then uh, because why? They are constantly promoting evil and calling evil good and, and, not, and calling good evil. And they're, they're almost on the verge, practically, of outlawing Christianity and pounding Christianity into the ground. And I'm just pointing out what you that there are two very distinct sides that have been developed. And we are living in a spiritual war just like uh, Abijah and Jeroboam were living in a spiritual warfare. And there is an attack that is taking place. Go with me to chapter, chapter 13 where we are in our text. In verse number 4, I do want us to read Abijah's speech. It's a very good speech. Look at what he says there in verse number 4. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemariam, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Now, I try to imagine this. Here you have, uh, here you have uh, Abijah as the captain, as the king of Judah. Here you have 400,000 uh, 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 troops of Judah. You have 800,000 troops of Israel. And here he goes up into a mountainside. And remind you, they don't have no PA system. I don't know how it worked. But I'm sure they figured it out. And he stood up to give a speech to all of these people and all these troops. And so he's addressing Jeroboam primarily and addressing the, uh, the army and the nation of Israel that is gathered to wage war against them. And he's standing there in Mount Ephraim. And he said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam and all Israel. Verse number 5. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. 
Verse number 8, And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a and there be with you a golden, golden calves which Jeroboam made for your gods. You for gods. Excuse me. Verse 9. Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken Him, and the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business." And he says, jump down to verse 12. He says there in verse 12, And behold, God Himself is with us for our captain and his priests with sounding trumpet to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. Man, what an incredible speech that Abijah gives to Jeroboam. And, uh, and he says there in verse number 10, he says, the Lord is our God. Listen, if there's one thing that we get out of all of this, it's that I want to line up on God's side. I don't want to line up with the wickedness that is being promoted and the side that is pulling out away from God and departing from the, God, from the Word of God. But I want to be on the side of those that are saying, hey, I'm interested in following the Word of God. I'm concerned with what God has said. And Jeroboam clearly was not on that side. Look with me in verse number 8. He says, uh, he says there that, uh, that, that in the middle of the verse... And ye be a great multitude, and there be with you golden calves. Well, you remember last time they talked about golden calves? It was when Moses was up in the mountain and, uh, and he was communing with God and the people uh, said, hey, make us gods. We don't know where this Moses is gone. And, and so uh, Aaron took the, the golden earrings from them and took all their gold and formed a golden calf and said, there's your God that brought you out of Israel. And listen, or out of Egypt rather, and, 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 and Moses came down and God was angered at the nation of Israel. And here they are, they are now worshiping again golden calves and they've departed from the Word of God and they've departed from the fact that uh, they made idols. Listen, Jeroboam pitted himself against God. Look in verse number 7. It says there, And there be gathered unto him vain men... The children of Belial. Belial is used uh, with the idea of devils or wickedness that takes place in the Old Testament. And he's saying, listen, you've gathered these people together around you that are wicked people. Listen, may we be careful of the company we keep. Because listen, birds of a feather flock together. This is an old saying, but it's a true saying. Uh, you don't see a, a whole pack of dogs and a cat running with them. You know why that is? Because they don't go together. Bird, uh, the animals that are, are all together kind of stick 
together. Birds of a feather flock together. And listen, people kind of draw who they are and they associate who they want to be around. And listen, the fact that uh, Jeroboam has gathered a bunch of sons of Belial to him should tell hey, there's something dead wrong with this fella and the direction that he is going. And I'm just telling you that Jeroboam had, had, had departed from the Word of God. We need to be careful about wickedness that gathers around. And wickedness that is departing from the Word of God. And Abijah says, the Lord is our God. Hey, that's the one that we're concerned with. That's the one that we want to serve. Look in verse number 10. Abijah says this, But as for us, the Lord is our God. And the second phrase, And we have not forsaken Him. I love that phrase. Matter of fact, he goes on and he says, And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. Verse number 11, And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and seats sweet incense. The showbread also is set. They in order and the candlestick of gold and the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken Him. You know what they're saying? That we worship God every day. Hey, we've brought the, we've brought the priests in and every single morning they're offering sacrifice. Every single night they are busy burning the incense and making sure the showbread is put out and making sure the candlesticks are there. And what he's saying is we have devoted ourselves to worshiping God and to making sure that we're following what God has laid forth in His Word. He even pointed out, hey, our priests are from the line of, of Levi and of Aaron because that's what God has ordained. And he's saying, hey, we are, we are concerned about God's Word and we're not forsaking or departing from what God wants, but we're following everything that God wants. Listen, that's so important. Man, we live in a day and age when people want to uh, depart and forsake the Lord. They want to depart and forsake the Word of God. They want to depart and forsake the worship of God. They want to depart and forsake what God has put forth. And Abijah is saying, listen, God is our God and we have not forsaken Him. Oh, listen, we need to keep God close in our life. You know, it's not God ever that forsakes man. It's man that forsakes God. It's man that walks away from God. Sometimes we do it ignorantly and we just kind of wander off like, like the sheep that goes astray. Sometimes we do it rebelliously. Well, we know what God said, but we simply don't want to do it. Sometimes we do it just because uh, we're tempted and drawn away by the world. And I'm just saying we need to be careful that we maintain a close communion with God and that we don't forsake His Word. They didn't forsake Him. They claimed Him as, his God, as their God. And He was saying, listen, God is important to us. And I want you to see this last thing, and that's the advantage that we see in this chapter. The advantage, look with me in verse number 3. And you might, this might not 
be what you're thinking. But look with me in verse number 3. There's something interesting here. The Bible says, And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. So Judah has 400,000 men. But if you look there, you'll find that Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men being mighty of valor. Isn't it amazing in this passage, when you start to run the numbers, you say, man, Israel had double the troops that Judah had. This is going to be a landslide victory. Israel's going to walk all over Judah. And you're thinking, man, this is really not good. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're concerned with righteousness and you're concerned for living with God, when you start to look around, I tell you what, you could be really scared because the world is very large. And the world and the, the direction that they're going seems like they have a much larger army than what we have. Went to a ball game the other night. I like ball games and uh, and you pay to get in they don't just let you walk in you pay to get in it's just a minor league went to see the rubber ducks and they won the first one was a double double header you pay to get in. five thousand people gathered five thousand we sat there for i don't know hours three hours on a friday night we sat there watched the game paid to get in paid for the food walked out, and churches across America are open this morning. You don't have to pay to get in. We're not charging for the food. We don't have food today, sorry. We're not charging for stuff. And, and they're not flocking to the church. You understand what I'm saying? And there's nothing wrong with the ball game, but I'm just telling you the world is out there and they have a large percentage of people on their side. They've got probably more than double of what we have. And as a Christian, you could lift your eyes up. As somebody in Judah, you could lift your eyes up as a soldier that was there and say, man... This does not look good. I can't count that many people in that short a time, but I can tell you looking at these guys that we are definitely outnumbered and they have an advantage over us. Boy, how that would smite the heart. Boy, how it would be difficult for those men as they stand there looking at that. Not only that, but I want you to notice, not only were they outnumbered, but they were outsmarted. Look with me in verses number 13. Uh, the Bible says in verse 13, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them, so they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Now here's these fellows, and they're all fighting. Now usually in these times, I mean the battle would be before them. And they would say, hey, all these guys are before us. That's the battle. We need to go forward. But in this case, while Abijah was giving the speech to Jeroboam, Jeroboam wasn't paying any attention to the message. He was busy organizing his troops. Hey, I want you to send this captain and this regiment and this group and these people, and I want you to sneak around the backside so that when you come around that you're, you're on the backside of those armies, and we're going to set the battle in array out front, and as soon as we start attacking, I want you to start attacking the people at the rear. He was outsmarted. 
And here they are, the armies, the children of, of Judah and, and Abijah and his armies that stand for righteousness. They're outnumbered two to one. And they're fighting as they're looking. And they're saying, man, these guys are coming at us. And then all of a sudden they glance behind them only to find, wow, the troops behind us that are supposed to replace us are fighting the back battle. And there's a battle behind us. And there's a battle before us. And we're saying, man, I don't know if we're going to get through this because it's a difficult battle. And sometimes it seems like in Christianity that, that wickedness is all around us. There's a battle raging behind us. There's a battle raging before us. We're outnumbered two to one. You say, but we're standing for righteousness. Yes, we are. But I want you to notice, though they were outmanned and though they were outsmarted, I want you to notice from the Word of God, they were not outpowered. Look with me in verse number 15. Then the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Listen, Christian, in 2022... I know it feels like you're outnumbered. I know it feels like you're outwitted. And there's, there's battles that are raging on every side of us and every front of Christendom is being attacked. But can I tell you this morning that listen, we may be outnumbered and though we may be outsmarted, uh, listen, we'll never be outpowered because God is on our side. And when trust in Him, and when He is, uh, we, we, we follow His Word, and we worship Him, and we walk with Him, and we stick with Him. I'm just telling you that, uh, that there's power with God. And it comes from being concerned with His Word. Being concerned with His righteousness. This king was concerned. Hey, we're not, we're not following some a false religion. We're not setting up idols. Hey, we're, we're using the priests that come from, the, uh, the, from Aaron's tribe and from the tribe of Levi as God had ordained. And we're worshiping God the way that He said we ought to worship. It was not that they had trained better. It was not that their soldiers had a better technique in fighting or better swords. It was that God was on their side. Listen, that's what we need. We don't need better techniques. We don't need better uh, equipment. What we need is the power of God on our lives. These men had courage in the face of fear. These men, though they were outnumbered and outweighted, they were very courageous and they stood for what was right. And they were not trusting in their own strength, but they were trusting in God. Look what it says there in verse number 18. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed. Why did they prevail? Because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. Listen, if we're going to have victory over sin and wickedness, it's not going to be because we're going to outwit that. It's not going to be because we outnumber the wickedness, but it's going to be because we rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's the only way to victory. There's no other way. These men relied on the Lord Jesus Christ. He strengthened them. Listen, praise the Lord. We need God's power in our life so that we can prevail. This is no different. You have wickedness lined up against righteousness. Jeroboam was wicked. Abijah was righteous and following God's word. And it's the same thing. It is a spiritual battle that is taking place. And these men were, were trusting in their, uh, in Jeroboam's men were trusting in their strength and trusting in their numbers and trusting in their strategy that they would employ. But, uh, but Abijah was saying, hey, listen, we're following God and we're obeying God and we're walking with God and we're worshiping God and we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, we have got to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reminded of this verse, Nahum 1.7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. Amen. Praise the Lord that even in the darkest of times, even in the worst of circumstances, even though it may seem we're outnumbered, hey, that we're trusting in the Lord. And our faith needs to be placed squarely in God. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Where's your faith this morning? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever been saved and born again? Listen, that is the first step to, to trusting in the Lord is, is asking the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And He'll save you and change your life. That's the first step. And after that, listen, Christian, I know it's discouraging. I, that, honestly, that's why half the time I don't watch the news. It's frustrating. You know what? You spend time in the Word of God and you say, man, that's encouraging. That's a blessing to know that God watches for us. Father, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk with you. Help us to be concerned with your word and what's written in it and the worship of you and the trust in you. God, I know it looks like we're outnumbered. God, I know it looks like we're outwitted many times. God, I pray that we'd not rely in our own strength. We'd not rely in our own wisdom. We'd not rely in our own abilities. But God, we'd put our faith and trust in you. God, I pray that you'd help us. You'd strengthen us. And God, that you'd deliver us from the hand of wickedness. God, I pray that you'd move and work as only you can. Bless, encourage, and strengthen each Christian. And Father, if there's one here that does not know you, I pray, Father, that they would be saved today and put their faith and trust in you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Are you trusting in the Lord? Have you forsaken the Lord and His Word. Maybe you've gotten away from Him and maybe you've lost concern with what He wants.
but a picture of our spiritual world today. Know how we need God's power. Know how we need God's strength. The key is simply drawing close to Him.